0: Please note that this episode includes the description of the tragic loss of a newborn child. Listener discretion is advised. Yellow Edge, in association with the Winston Churchill Trust, proudly presents the Wayfinder Podcast. In this series, we ask high-performing individuals how they plotted the path to success. Our guests are all Churchill Fellows, having been provided the opportunity by the Churchill Trust to research their chosen field internationally. The Wayfinder explores the often winding paths of how these Fellows came to their professions and catalogues the trials and tribulations faced along the way. And now, your host, Scarlett Bennett.
1: My name is Scarlett Bennett, and I'm talking today with Peter Kersley, who has raised more than $4 million for neonatal care through his Newborn Intensive Care Foundation, which funds equipment training and research for newborn care in the Canberra region. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Scarlett. Delighted to be talking to you today. I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about your foundation.
2: Well, the concept was created in 1993, um, and the foundation launched by um, the then Chief Minister of the ACT, Kate Carnell, in 1995. And uh, according to Professor Graham Reynolds, who was the um, Associate Dean of Admissions at the a John Curtin School, uh, and he was previous Clinical Director of Paediatrics at Canberra Hospital, according to him, uh, he says that the foundation has enabled the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU, at the Canberra Hospital to lead the nation in many areas of clinical support and, and family care. So we've been able to do a lot in the you know, 27 or 8 years that we've been going.
1: And are there any, you mentioned you've done a lot, are there key successes that you'd like to mention, things that really spring to mind?
2: Uh, look, Yeah, there are. I mean, our, our focus has been on the Canberra uh, NICU, primarily because it's a tertiary neonatal intensive care unit as opposed to a special care nursery. So that means that sick babies from all over the regions come to Canberra hospital for care. So they'll come from Wagga base hospital or Bega hospital or Maruya hospital. and, And sometimes they're being fed from other smaller hospitals into those larger regional hospitals, and then they come on to, to Canberra. So I think probably. Our, our you know, biggest general achievement has been able to provide equipment where babies coming from those regions arrive at Canberra uh, NICU in a much healthier state than they otherwise would.
1: Mm. And what would you describe as the biggest challenges you've faced through this journey with the foundation?
2: Well, I um, mean, the challenge is raising money. Um, that's that's been the the hardest thing. I mean, there's so many good charities that people can donate to. Um, but my thinking is that if you, can, if you can intervene as early as possible with some, you know, positive clinical care and, and the best possible resources, you can prevent blindness and you can prevent brain damage and cerebral palsy and you know, a host of other issues, which means you've, you've got a healthy child growing up instead of a child that has a lot of developmental issues, um, which means that, you know, they they can be quite a burden on their families and and on the community and on the government welfare right throughout their life. And in my way of thinking, I'd much prefer to um, give that clinical care early on and have a healthy young kid running around the school yard. You know, it just makes, to me, it makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, we are competing with a lot of other great causes, and uh, it's just the environment we have to work in. And then, of course, COVID—you know—that's been a disaster for us, really, for the um, the last couple of years. Because one of the uh, one of our main fundraisers is what we call Bake for Babies, and um, Bake for Babies is a concept where, essentially, I get other people to do the work for me. I'm um, being a essentially a one man band. I, I don't do um, balls and I don't do functions and so forth because it's it's there's too much human resource needed for all that sort of thing. So mm. things like Bake for Babies is a great solution where we just ask people to bake whatever they want, sell their baked produce, produce to whoever they can and deposit the proceeds into the foundation's bank account. Well, with COVID, of course, they weren't able to have their office get-togethers or morning teas or afternoon teas or family get-togethers. So we uh, we had we've had two dismal years of fundraising because of that that's been a huge challenge
1: it sounds like one of the big successes for you over the years has been this preventative aspect that you're making a difference oh, before some of these difficulties arise
2: absolutely absolutely I, you know i i think you know one of the things we're raising money for here in the Gippsland area um, for Sale Hospital and, and one for Band style Hospital is what's called a resuscitate warming cot. They're about forty five thousand dollars, and and they're a cot with resuscitation equipment attached to it. So you know it, it's perfect for having in readiness in a birthing unit, just in case a baby is born not breathing. There's the resuscitation equipment all there. Well. There is a resuscitator in both style and Sales emergency areas, but there isn't one up in the birthing unit, and that's exactly where you right. need it. You know? Yes, hmm.
1: so fabulous that you'd be able you're able to expand this out into some of those regional communities too. I understand that you have a very personal reason for spearheading this cause. And um, what can you tell us about the circumstances that inspired you to launch the foundation?
2: Hmm. It, it really starts with the birth of our first daughter uh, megan she was um, she was overdue quite a bit overdue and and we had to go into the Canberra hospital each day at, uh, at lunchtime for them to take her heart rate and um, we did this a day uh, uh, day after day uh, and I don't know whether you're familiar with the terms galloping horses but that's the sort of sound them baby's heart rate makes it's just the a... right um anyway we, we were as soon as my wife was uh, hooked up um, and they were you know measuring the baby's heart rate and they'd normally leave us there for you know five or ten minutes and then they'd come back and you know have a, a listen everything all right well this time they didn't they left us there a bit longer and um you know we could hear the baby's heart rate going which was wonderful Um, But then all of a sudden it sort of went and we obviously, you know, uh, went white in the face and raced out and got a nurse and she came in. She went white in the face and she went out to get the senior nurse and the senior nurse came in and said to my wife, "Uh, you'll be having your baby today, dear. (laughs) And basically with that, she was whipped up into the birthing unit. Um, and um, I, I was following her and they said, oh, can you just wait there? And I thought, right, I'll just wait here. And then the next minute they came out with a baby. And uh, I thought I'd at least be able to go in and give my wife a kiss and good luck, darling, and all that sort of thing, but no, it was just, that's how much of a, a rush it was. Um, so when it came for having our second baby, um, back in those days, you, you weren't allowed to have, you know, a natural birth in the hospital, with an untested caesarean scar. So we opted for a home birth um, and we justified it in that we had a a couple of midwives and uh, we were only um, in Farrah and the hospital was, you know, just down the road, two or three minutes Mm. drive. And uh, everything seemed to be going well. Uh, Hannah was full term. Um, And uh, my wife was just having a shower and she collapsed in the shower and the midwives... Um, came and tested Hannah's heart rate and it was either not there or very faint. I'm not quite sure now what. So we raced to the hospital and Hannah was basically born blue. And the nurses there um, revived her. Um, They didn't have any resuscitation equipment, but they revived her. Um, And I can just remember this nurse saying, you've got a very, very sick baby, a very sick baby, a very, very sick baby. And then this fellow came in, uh, um, an Asian gentleman, um, and he seemed to just wander over the cot. And then he went out again and uh, came back in with a recorder, mm-hmm. little one of those mini-recorders. And I'm sort of thinking, you know, was what, he recording us? Um, does he think we're going to sue the hospital or whatever? Meanwhile, you know, poor old Seuss is still on the stainless steel slab, you know? And uh, anyway, um, he recorded our conversation, and, and then um, he left. And um, we were there till quite late at night while they were working on on Hannah. And I went home to go to bed. Before that, I listened to the tape that he gave me, and it was interesting because the first thing he said is, "I'm recording this because you're not going to hear anything I say," and he was dead right. And it was so interesting mm. to hear that recording. And and he did, he was um, uh, Dr. Guanco. He, he was a sensational person here now heads up the um, Townsville um, Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Um, anyway, we, we were very gently counseled by Guan, Dr. Guan Ko. Um, And, you know, we're sitting across the table from him and we're crying and uh, he's handing us tissues and he's crying as well. <laughs> um, we were basically counseled that, that, that they'd done some tests on Hannah and there was very little brain movement. And so um, we were sort of counselled that we should possibly consider letting nature take its course and disconnect Anna from the the uh, intensive care life support equipment. Um, so we did that, and um, and the little girl passed away in our arms uh, some hours later, and uh, and we buried her. Funnily enough, um, yesterday, three p.m., 28 years ago. So...
1: Oh, um, I'm so sorry recovery. to hear that. Yeah. Um, and those and, those wounds, they stay so raw, don't they, those losses? Oh,
2: absolutely, absolutely. So after that, um, although it was just a brief period, I mean, she was only two days old when she died, but the support that we were given in the hospital and the support that our young youngest daughter, our, our, you know, she was only three at the time, Um, you know the nursing staff took her off and entertained her and so forth so we were keen to sort of say thank you and give back somehow or other so I went and saw Dr Coe and and I said you must have a wish list and he said yes I do and he pulled it out of his top drawer and there was just too many zeros on the end of numbers you know I, Mm. I couldn't afford to make a dent really so I thought The best thing was possibly get the community involved and and start a foundation and uh, that's when in november 93 we developed this concept of the foundation however in two or three months later in in the january um, my wife was diagnosed with a glioblastoma and only given months to live Um, oh gosh we we fought that for 18 months until she passed away um, and then um, I reignited the uh the foundation, and so we launched it in 1995. So that was my little personal journey to where we are now, if you like.
1: Mm, and a heartbreaking one. It's obvious that the foundation has made a huge difference to many people since you've been operating it, Peter, but has it helped you in processing your own losses?
2: Uh, look, it has, I guess i mean as as you say you don't you never lose it and and, and things like you know what we're talking about now and, and um you know the fact that yesterday was the funeral and all yeah, when those things happen mm. you the feelings come back pretty raw, um, but the rest of the time you put them at the back of your head and you don't you sort of don't think about them too much um but creating the foundation i guess gives purpose for something it yes. It, it, turns a negative, a a shocking negative, into an amazing positive. I got a um, a great email from a lady who, funnily enough, I used to work with, and she emailed me. She found my email online and she sent me a letter to say thank you um, because her baby was born premature uh, in the Canberra Hospital and was really not given much chance of survival. Um, but the email went on to say that her daughter um, had uh, not only survived but became a, a great gymnast competing on the uh, national stage. She became a great dancer. She got the um, New South Wales Premier Young Sportsperson's Award, you know, and, and that's, that's How really wonderful. The of what we're trying to do, you know. Um, it's not a, about saving lives. It's about the quality of life. I guess we could have saved Hannah's life but there would have been no quality. So, mm. you know, I think taking letting nature take its course there was the right thing, but where we can prevent something, whether blindness or brain damage, well and if there's the equipment out there and the clinical knowledge, then we need to get that equipment and we need to share that knowledge throughout as many hospitals as we possibly can. Mm,
1: that's really fantastic. And I understand that it was a bit of a, a, a jump in a way, but I understand that in 2016, you won an, an ACT Australian of the Year Award. How did yeah. you feel about that?
2: Um, look, I, I've never ever sought recognition for whatever I've done. I've always preferred to do things in the background, but it was a really nice feeling, not so much for me, but for my kids, so my kids could see the achievement. And uh you know, I thought you know having having your kids proud of what you've done, I think is that that was the most important feeling to me that came out of that that whole experience of getting that award. For the foundation, it it it's definitely raised the foundation's awareness, and and I did hear from someone in the legal fraternity that um, there was a bit of spike in people including the foundation in their will and so forth. So, you know, I, I haven't seen any evidence of that at this stage, but you know, never know down the track.
1: No, that's right. And also in 2017, you were recipient of the Churchill Fellowship. Yes. Tell us about that and what you did.
2: Oh, look, that was an amazing experience, really. I had this concept because when we created the foundation, it, it was created so that there was not to be any administration fees that came out of general donations. And to this day, there's no administration fees that come out of general donations. And it was one hundred percent of donations actually go to fund either medical equipment or nurse education or research, primarily uh, medical equipment um, and that money raised in the region would stay in the region so they were the sort of concepts and we found or you know that was quite quite a unique model and the reason I wanted to do the Churchill I wanted to research uh, foundations in other countries that started in a similar way to the Newborn Intensive Care Foundation yet they'd expanded and uh, I was able to find some uh, charities in New Zealand and uh, in Holland, Scotland and, and the UK and uh, New Zealand was a good one because it was close. Um, Holland was good because um, they, the, their charity dollar primarily goes to health and children so I thought that, that was a good place to start as well, as opposed to, if you like, to the, the America, where the charity do- dollar goes to uh, education and religion. Um, mm. you know, so, and I, I learned a lot just going around because I didn't know what I didn't know for a start. And you know, I, I really wanted to soak up as much experience as I could get from these places. And the concept I had for expanding the foundation was to do it under one umbrella, so we'd just have the Newborn Intensive Care Foundation, and we'd have chapters. So that, that'd be the uh, Riverina chapter, or the East Coast chapter, or the Gippsland chapter. You know what I mean? Um, yes. And the very first meeting I had was with the New Zealand Neonatal Intensive Care Foundation, and they had expanded in you know, Auckland, um, you know, through uh, Dunedin and Wellington, um, Wellington and right throughout Uh, and they'd created a different trust each time they expanded and they were in the process of unwinding all of that to put it all under one umbrella Um, so I was just amazed that that first meeting it just confirmed my concept you know and there was those sorts of things all the way around and I think we had a tremendous sharing Uh, you know people said that they got a lot more out of meeting and talking to me than they thought i got out of meeting and talking with them but i think there was this just fair exchange of ideas and concepts and and so forth so i i think it was very very beneficial to a whole raft of people
1: and is there anything in particular, other than the structure, that the fellowship may have kind of shaped your next steps, shaped your thinking? You know, you talk about that reciprocal thing. Was there anything that you learnt on your travels that changed the way you were thinking of doing things?
2: Look, I, I jumped from one idea to another and back again, and so forth a few times. Um, volunteers, for instance, um, you know, I've always being a one man band, and and also um, wanting 100% of donated money to go to buying medical equipment, et cetera. When you've got a volunteer force, you know, you've got to have insurances and you've got to have um, um, procedures and all this, you know, work, health and safety things. And it just seemed to be, to me, to, to be hard work. And the other thing is that because we, we generally provide a product, a medical product and not a service, Um, where a lot of the charities I visited, they'd expanded into providing a service. And what I mean by a service is that they would have volunteers who would go into the hospital and support young mums, talk to them and, you know, get them a cup of tea and a cup of coffee and a cake or whatever it might be. Um, Mm. In going around, I thought, gee, you know, there really is a need for that and I thought we should do that and then I thought no and when they told me all the things about having you know volunteers they're paying the neck, blah, blah 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 you know I think oh, I'll cross <laughs> that off the list um and yeah, fortunately there's we we're, we're lucky in in that um we've got miracle babies um here that offer that sort of support and we've got Ronald, Ronald McDonald house and you know those sorts yes. of things and, uh, you know I guess that it it confirmed to me that we needed to stay in that space where we just fund medical equipment research and nurse education.
1: So it gave you real clarity on your niche, if you like, Certainly. and Absolutely. where
2: you would contribute. Absolutely. Now, obviously, I need volunteers and I do have some. I don't refer to them as volunteers, um, I refer to them as projectors. And that means basically, if someone wants to help, I put them on to do a project. Whatever their skills might be, I can. You know, I can create whatever um, you know, space there is for someone who's got particular skills and whether website design or, or sales or whatever. And we set them up with a project and um, basically it's, it's theirs, they own it. And when that project comes to an end, well, the arrangement finishes or they might choose to pick another project and go on. So, you know, that, that's the sort of concept that I have, the project here, as opposed to a
1: volunteer. Yeah, that's interesting. An interesting difference, isn't it? What about in terms of where you're at now? You know, that's where you've come from and how it's developed over the years. Where are things sitting for you with the foundation now? Well, you mentioned it's been a hard few years with COVID.
2: It certainly has. You know, we're sitting in a pretty good state financially, though, um, which means that unlike if, if, if the... I mean, we take our lead from clinical staff If they want a piece of equipment, they'll ask us, you know, and I have a board made up of previous pediatricians or neonatologists, bankers and and, um, solicitors and so forth. Uh, I simply email the request out to the board and within about 72 hours, they'll come back to me with a yes, we'll, they've never said no, quite frankly, they've always said yes. So, yes, we'll fund it. And then I can get straight back to the hospital within hour, three or four days and say, yes, we'll fund it, as opposed to if they do it through their Department of Health. It can take months for that mm, to I happen. can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And a matter of fact, there was a piece of equipment that um, we said we would fund, and it needed some consumables that would go with it. So it had to be approved through the government, Department of Health and so forth. Well, in the process of that months of approval system, the product went up $70,000 because that was at the time where the American dollar just, you know, was lower than the Australian dollar and then all of a sudden it flipped around. Um, so I did go and see the um, d- director of ACT Health and um, she said at the time, if you ever got a big piece of equipment uh, like that, come and see me and I can get rid of nine layers of bureaucracy for you. you know, yeah, fantastic.
1: You yeah. yeah, that's mm. really great. And what's next for you, Peter, in terms of you personally and also the foundation?
2: Well, the, the um, Gippsland is the focus at the moment. I mean, we're we're well-established up in Canberra. You know, this year alone we've donated a you know, giraffe humidity crib, a uh, phototherapy blanket. The phototherapy blanket is like babies with jaundice. You know, they have the phototherapy lights. Well, this is a blanket that they can be wrapped in and so they can undergo the, the therapy uh, for jaundice um, while they're being nursed by their mum, for instance.
1: Oh, how lovely. Um,
2: a cooling, cooling blanket, which babies who are born having trouble breathing, if you can lower their temperature a bit, it, um, it prevents brain damage. For Calvary Hospital, you know, a couple of months ago, we, we bought them a blood analyzer. You know we so, We're still buying plenty of equipment. And you know, baked for babies, we, we sort of did virtually. Which worked well, uh, we've just started doing raffles uh, online raffles where people can scan a barcode or just you know buy their their raffles online, so basically Canberra's sort of looking after itself, and my focus now is on gippsland, and if I can you know bring up to stand the the special care nursery and the Sale special care nursery and Latrobe neonatal Intensive care unit, that might take a few years. But then I would like to then develop the foundation into Hobart, Royal Hobart Hospital, because it's got the NICU there and it takes it feeds from the special care nurseries in Launceston and Davenport and
1: smaller hospitals right. around. makes sense. And do you have a sense of where you're hoping to be, say, in five years' time?
2: Five years goes in a heartbeat.
1: Yes, it does, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. I, I, look, I I, I tend... To, I've got a rough idea where I want to go short-term goals are easy because you know i just ask the clinical staff what do you need what would you like Um, and so that becomes my single focus goal for that particular hospital the longer term goal though i I don't set any timelines i think you know i've got to be careful not i don't try and i burn out uh, Mm. and um, i do a fairly ordinary job for a whole bunch of hospitals and not a good job for a few so i'd rather do a good job for a few so, yeah, five years, uh, look, it'd be great to be a, have silent Van style in the Gippsland region established and then move on to Hobart.
1: Yeah, sounds fantastic. And if people uh, who are listening to this are really inspired and feel like they want to help and get involved, what can they do, Peter?
2: Um, well, they can bake for babies. <laughs> look, they can do all sorts. They can make it just a general donation, knowing that 100% of that donation will go to medical equipment or, or whatever. They can you know have a garage sale. They can get their rotary club or whatever involved to donate to their local. They can go and knock on the door of their local hospital and say, what do you need? And then they can get in touch with me and say, my local hospital needs such and such. We can create a little account where money from that local hospital region that's donated will go into that account and that'll go to fund whatever they want. And, and so they they basically use our tax deductible status um, and and, uh, to to fund the equipment that's needed at their particular hospital.
1: So essentially they can create their own chapter to to use your language from earlier.
2: Exactly, yes, yeah.
1: Wow, that's a really, really exciting possibility for people.
2: And we will, um, you know, if there's uh, some nice to have things in, in local hospitals, I prefer them to do their own fundraising, that community to do their own fundraising. Um, some things where we we we've bought in the past, for instance, ERIC, which is an acronym for Emergency Retrieval Intensive Care Cot. It's, you know, the size of a large desk um, and it's full of all the intensive care equipment that you need. And it's designed to go in the back of an ambulance or helicopter to go out to the suburbs, Cambar or whatever, or it can also go to Wagga And pick up sick babies. So, as soon as they go in that, they're in intensive care, where previously they had to get to Canberra Hospital. So, the foundation will fund equipment like that, that means babies from the regions will get to the Canberra Hospital in a better condition than they would without that piece of equipment. But if there's some nice to have things, then um, it would be good for the other hospitals too. Uh, or people in the community to get together and raise, help raise money for that particular hospital.
1: Work out what they need and then start to raise the funds themselves. Yeah. So any closing thoughts um, from you, Peter, anything else you'd like to share about the the foundation, any anecdotes, anything that's of interest?
2: Yeah, I'll give you an example. Um, Babies in uh, ventilators uh, on particular gases and so forth, oxygen, for instance, They run the risk of having the vessels in their eyes expand and and they can pop. And if they pop, that leads to blindness. It's called retinopathy. Now, previously to us buying an eye laser, babies had to be transported to Sydney to have the laser treatment to prevent this um, retinopathy happening. Now, that meant basically we had to find uh, transport to Sydney, an intensive care cot, theatre time, Uh, an ophthalmologist Um, you're separating the families at at that stage now the the um, laser eye laser cost seventy thousand dollars which was it's next to nothing and and when you put it to uh, up to i think it costs something like 35 or 40 thousand dollars to train a puppy to become a guide dog it costs something like five thousand dollars for support for a young child to start school, I was thinking like $12,000 for the equipment for that young child to start school, and yet the costs just keep going. Yet for $70,000, we've got an eye laser and we have a visiting ophthalmologist comes in when necessary, and that saved the eyesight of 22 babies. Mm. Uh, 22 kids running around the, and people say, oh, the government should fund this. Well, maybe, but if the government funds it, our taxes have to go up. The money's got to come from somewhere and i don't know about you but i don't necessarily trust the government will send my taxes where i want them to go so that's where donating gives you control you can donate your money where you want it to be and know that that's what it's going to be spent on so that's that's certainly the model i prefer is donating
1: that's a really inspiring story Peter Kersley, thank you very much indeed for your time today and for sharing um, such a wonderful, inspiring story. And and it's so lovely to hear what you've done and, and how you've transformed such a challenging personal experience into something that has helped so many people over the years. Thank you. Thank you, Scott.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wayfinder podcast. For more information on Yellow Edge and our services including professional development, coaching, strategic support, mediation and venue hire, visit yellowedge.com.au. For more information on the Winston Churchill Trust, visit churchilltrust.com.au.